You're listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. And if you missed Jingle Jam yesterday, it was a great, uh, great morning. Uh, We get to celebrate Jesus, celebrate Christmas, and have some fun uh, while we did it. Miss Mary and Miss Asher, our whole kids team, uh, did a great job. We had around 400 kids and families here uh, just celebrating. It was a great, great time. So Luke chapter 1 is where we are going to be today. We're going to start in verse 46. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little insight into my family. Uh, So Anna, my wife, and I, we have very different cinematic taste. Um, I like movies where people fight, uh, where things get blown up. If someone gets kidnapped, that helps, right? Uh, Anna, um, Anna doesn't really like movies at all, to be honest with you. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't want to commit uh, that long to something. But every once in a while, uh, a movie will catch her eye that she wants to watch. And so several years ago, this happened. She tells me, she said, hey, I have a movie that I want to watch tonight. Because another thing about our family, uh, we don't go to the movie theater a lot because we could film our own movie for what it costs uh, for us to take our family to the movies. Uh, and so uh, we, she says, I've got a movie I want us to watch uh, tonight. And I said, okay, uh, well, what's it about? And she says, well, it's a musical about P.T. Barnum, uh, the guy that started Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, and I said, a musical? I, I don't watch musicals, right? Uh, I drive a truck. I've got a reputation. Uh, I don't watch musicals. We're not watching this musical. So we're about halfway into The Greatest Showman, uh, a few, an hour or so later, and uh, something happens that kind of caught me off guard. I love that movie. That movie it's, it's a great movie. The songs are catchy. Uh, and it, since then, I've seen a few other musicals that I really enjoyed. Now, I'm not going crazy. Like, I'm not watching Cats or anything like that. But, but there are some musicals that uh, I've really started to enjoy. Uh, and it, it's kind of crazy when you think about the whole concept, right? Uh, that these people are living their lives. Uh, and then as they go about their day, they just break out into song. Right? Uh, they, uh, they've got dance moves. They've got all of these things planned. Where we come to in Luke chapter 1, we're going to come to uh, what's been called the Magnificat. This is Mary's song. Now, uh, this is not like The Greatest Showman. Uh, this is not like other musicals uh, where something happens in Mary's life and then she just breaks out into a random song that we now have recorded in Scripture. No, where we come to in Luke chapter 1, Mary has been surrounded by, she's been hearing about these blessings that are happening, right? That Elizabeth, her older relative who has been barren her entire life, she's now going to have a son. And then Mary, this young virgin girl from the middle of nowhere, she is going to be the mother of Jesus, who isn't just any other baby, but this is the Messiah, this is the Savior, this is the promised one. And so as we heard last week, Pastor Mike preached and he talked about Elizabeth a little bit more and John the Baptist leaping for joy and Mary travels to see Elizabeth. And, and what I have to believe, I'm going to fill in the gaps here a little bit, take some artistic license 
But as Mary's traveling, she is considering what is happening. And as she's considering what is happening, what's happening in her life, what's happening in her family, the only way she can respond is in praise. And so she writes this song over this journey. And so as we look at Mary's song of praise, we're going to see this truth. We're going to see that understanding who God is ignites unexplainable joy. Uh, understanding who God is ignites unexplainable joy. Because stop and remember where we are in this birth story for a minute. Mary is a young virgin girl who has just been told uh, that she is going to be the mother of Jesus. Now, now take away the Jesus part. This young virgin girl, she's just been told that she's going to be a mother. She's got to be scared, fearful. There's a lot of unknown that is about to happen. There's a lot of things that she doesn't understand. And so the best response that I could think of, if that was happening to me, would not be to write a song about how grateful I am and how glad I am. But that's what Mary does. And the only way that Mary can get to this point in her life is because she understands who God is. And understanding who God is, this ignites this unexplainable joy in her life that doesn't really make any sense apart from the fact that God is good and God knows what he's doing. And so as we look at Luke chapter one, we're gonna see this. So let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word uh, here in Luke chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses here on the screen for you. So Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 46, the spirit says to us this morning, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. You can be seated. Well, pray with me. Uh, Father, we are grateful for today. We're grateful that we can come together and that we can worship as we look at your word, God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us. And God, we pray that we would walk out of this building today, knowing you and loving you more, that we would understand who you are. And as we understand who you are, that that would ignite unexplainable joy in our hearts, just as it did Mary's. God, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this song, as we look at Mary's song, we are going to see three truths about who God is. Now, in some ways, if you were here over the summer, uh, this is going to be a little bit of review. If you remember over the summer, we did a series we called Awesome God, and we looked at the attributes, the characteristics of God. And so here in this passage, we're going to see uh, three of those attributes that we talked about over the summer. We're going to see them fleshed out in this song uh, that Mary has here. And so the, the first truth that we see about God is this, is that God is holy. God is holy. What we believe about God matters. See, what we believe about God matters for the way that we live. It matters for the way that we celebrate. It matters for the way that we suffer. 
It matters for the way that we walk through pain and the way that we walk through challenges. See, what we believe about God matters because it changes who we are. And in Mary's song, we see that when we understand who God really is, then that ignites this unexplainable joy in our hearts. And so Mary's song here, it's this response to blessing. And this song, it, it follows the pattern of the Psalms that we have in the Old Testament. It follows the pattern of a Psalm of Thanksgiving. So what Mary's going to do is she's going to proclaim, she's going to explain that she is thankful, and then she's going to tell us why she is. If we were to look back at the Psalms and the Psalms of Thanksgiving, we would see them follow a very similar pattern. And so she begins in verses 46 and 47. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What she's saying is everything in her is rejoicing in who God is and what he has done. Now look at the end of verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies. And then verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices. Now, some people want to read this and they'll want to divide soul and spirit as if the soul's talking about this thing and spirit's talking about this. Well, what's happening here is Mary, remember she's writing, this is poetry. What Mary's doing is she's using these two words to explain, to underline the fact that everything that is in her is rejoicing at what God has done, both mentally and emotionally, everything in her is rejoicing that God is doing great and wonderful and mighty things. See, we could say that this is a picture of what real worship is to be, that we worship with our mind and our hearts. We worship with our heads and our emotions. See, our worship is to be thinking and feeling. So that whenever we sing, we're not just reciting the words off the screen, but we're running them through our hearts and we're responding to what it is that we are singing. Uh, let me take a minute and just brag on our worship team. It, it doesn't matter which worship team we have up here from week to week. One of the things that I love is that our musicians, our worship team, they lead us in worship and they lead us in worship with all that they are. Right? That they really believe what it is that they are singing. So we can't sing a song like we just did. We can't sing, you keep hope alive with a frown on our face. Right? We can't celebrate this fact that we have hope without it welling up inside of our emotions. Sometimes when we talk about worship, we talk about emotions, emotions get kind of a bad rap. But here's the thing. Guess whose idea your emotions were? God, right? God had the idea to give you, to give me emotions, and our emotions are to be used to bring him glory. And so we worship emotionally, right? We should be moved when we worship. Not just when we sing, but whenever we read his word, we should be moved by what it is that we are reading. Because when we really understand who God is, that ignites something in us, right? That, that spurs something in us. And notice what Mary calls God at the end of verse 27. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. See, she understands that she's not sinless. God didn't choose her because she had it all figured out. He chose her simply and only because of his grace. I right, get this, even as the mother of the Savior, Mary needed to be saved. Mary would deliver the one. Mary would raise the one who would ultimately provide the sacrifice that would save her. Mary describes herself in verse 48 as being of humble estate. See, nothing about her 
Nothing about Mary qualified her to be the mother's Messiah, yet that is exactly how God chose to work. There was nothing in Mary that when, when God saw her that he said, this is the one that I need, right? She has all of the right things. She's got brown hair and brown eyes, or she's got this, or she's very sweet about this, or she knows this. No, when God looked at Mary, there was nothing in Mary that said, hey, I should be the mother of Jesus. But when God looked at Mary, he looked with grace. It was God's grace that brought Mary to this point, not anything in her. See, this is how God always works. His work in us is always undeserved. See, we should all be able to say like Mary, that he's looked on my humble estate. None of us, none of us should be able to say that God has looked at me and he has seen what I can offer. Right? None of us can say God looked at me and he has seen what I can bring to the table. I'm I'm a football fan. I love to watch football. But God doesn't draft us the way that NFL teams draft players, right? He doesn't put us on the board and say, hey, this, this one can bring me something. This one can really add something to the kingdom. No, God looks at us and he says, look at their humble estate. I'm going to give them grace. Right? Because we need God much more than he needs us. Amen. Now, Mary understands the change that is about to happen. Look at the end of verse 48. She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Mary, did you know? Right? She did, right? She understood. Y'all got that. It took a minute, right? It took a minute, but, but you eventually got it, right? Uh, she understood that something was about to happen. She understood that from now on, all generations were going to call her blessed. And she understands from now on, people will call her blessed, not because of what she has done, but because of what God has done. Right? He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. He's looked on the humble estate of Mary. And so from now on, all generations will call her blessed, not because she was so great, but because God was. Because of God's grace at work in her. In verse 50, she says this. She says, his mercy is for, or, sorry, verse 49. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. See, A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so in verse 49, we see what comes into Mary's mind when she thinks about God. That he who is mighty has done great things for me. Right, not that Mary has done great things for him, but that he who is mighty, he's done great things for her. And then she says, and holy is his name. See, for Mary, God was holy. Now, what does it mean that God was holy or that God is holy? It means that he is separate. He is other. He is distinct. That's holiness. And because God is holy, we can trust him and we can draw near to him. And so here's the question is, what comes to your mind when you think about God? That's the most important thing about you. See, what you think about God changes everything. Because if you believe that God is holy, then you can trust him. If you believe that God is holy, then that means that you can draw near to him. If you believe that God is holy, then that means that you know that he demands you to be holy. If you believe that God is holy, then you understand that that we needed a savior. We needed Jesus to bridge that gap to make us holy. See, what we believe about God changes everything. 
Understanding who God is, it ignites unexplainable joy in us. We see first that God is holy. Next, we see this truth about God from Mary's song, that God is strong. God is strong. When we talk about God's strength, we're not talking about a strength like ours. We're talking about what theologians call his omnipotence. That God is all-powerful, that he can do what we cannot do. In other words, there is no one like our God. And it's when we get to know this God that unexplainable joy is ignited in our hearts. In verse 50, Mary sings about God's mercy. She says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear him, for those who revere him. This fear of God that we read about over and over and over again in the Bible, this is a, a reverence. It's a humble obedience that seeks to please God. See, this is what it means to live a godly life, to fear God. I love the way one commentator, he put it like this. He says, the fear of God is faith in God. Fear of God is faith in God. But God doesn't just tell us that he's strong. Mary doesn't just sing about the fact that God is strong. She shows us. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. Now, God, the father who Mary is singing about here, he's a spirit, right? He doesn't have a body, but she says here he has shown strength with his arm. This is uh, that word, maybe remember from 10th grade English, an anthropomorphism. That she's, she's using this, this language of an arm to describe how strong God is, to describe a, a truth about God. See, the mighty thing that God has done, he's done on his own. He didn't need help. In fact, God never needs our help, but he uses it to accomplish his will in the world. That God never needs us. He never needs us to do anything, but he delights to use us. And so it's Christmas, right? Obviously, we're, we're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus. And I love Christmas, but here is my least favorite thing about Christmas, is putting Christmas presents together. As far as I'm concerned, the sweetest sentence in the English language is no assembly required, right? Uh, that, uh, I love that. Now, um, my parents, this week, they delivered a Christmas present for my kids. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they delivered a trampoline. Now, here's the thing. I, I asked for a trampoline for years from my parents, and I was always told, no, you'll break your arm, you'll break your neck. They have grandkids, and it's like, yeah, let's get them a trampoline. Yeah, let's get them two or three. Uh, and so it wasn't some assembly required. It was a lot of assembly required. And so when they called and they asked, hey, can we get them a trampoline? I said, well, no, but what I say doesn't matter, right? Uh, you're going to. Uh, so if you do, here's what you have to commit to. Uh, you've got to help me put it together. I'm not handy at all. My dad's very handy. That gene skipped a generation. I, I don't know how, although I'm not a scientist. I don't know how it works, but I didn't get it. And so uh, we get start working putting together this trampoline. At one point, there's three generations of Crowder men and a dog trying to figure out how to get this thing together and on level ground and, and all of this. We finally got it put together. And if you ask my boys, they will confidently tell you that they put together that trampoline. <laughs> now, did they help? Yes. 
Would it have been faster and more efficient to do it without them? 100%. (laughs) No question about that. In fact, at times, putting together that trampoline was much more difficult and much more messy because when we would need a part, I would look over and like, they're sword fighting or whatever it may be, right? Now, in a way, this is a small picture of how God uses us to accomplish His will in the world. Does He need us? No. Would it be faster and more efficient for Him to do it alone? 100%. Yet in His kindness, He allows us to play a part. In His kindness, God allows you and I to be a part of His work in the world. Do we mess it up? All the time. Do we make it messier? Absolutely. But consider that the high king of heaven, the king of the universe, he offers you and I the opportunity not only to be known by him, but to be used by him to affect eternity. He allows you and I to be used by him in his plan to change the world. What higher thing could there be? See, God didn't need Mary. God could have come up with a hundred different ways to send Jesus Christ to save his people. But in his kindness and in his grace, he chose to use Mary to be the mother of Jesus so that all generations would call her blessed. Not because she was qualified, not because she was great, but because God is. Now Mary goes on to unpack how God shows his strength. Not just by using her, but by turning the wisdom of the world upside down. Look at verse 52. She says, he being God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The way Proverbs puts it and the way that James and and Peter will pick up on and quote is that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One of the things that I can't, this is kind of the new thing that has hit me as uh, we've walked through this Christmas story over the last few weeks, is that humility is all over it. Right, that humility runs all through the Christmas story. Think about Elizabeth. She is a humble, older, barren woman, yet God uses her. Mary is a young girl from the humble estate. God chooses to use her. Nazareth, a humble place, but God chooses to use that place. You might feel like you don't have much to offer or you don't have much to bring to the table, but here's the good news. You're in the perfect position for God to do a great work in you and through you and with you. See, God delights to work in the places where we are aware of our humility. He rewards those who are satisfied only in him. See, he uses people who who don't bank on their great gifts and their great talents God uses people who understand and who recognize that there is nothing good in them and that anything good that they are going to do, it's going to come from him. See, that's what we need to understand or that's what we need to realize. 
Maybe you feel like as a parent that you just don't really understand this parenting thing. I wake up every morning and realize my kids have gotten one day older, which means that I've got to come up with a new way to parent them. I don't always get it. But here's the thing. God didn't give me my four kids because I was going to be such a great parent, right? God gave me my four kids, I'm convinced, to show me that I'm not really as good at parenting as I once thought I was, right? But that God, in His grace, He is, right? He gives grace. God didn't make you a husband or a wife or a friend or an aunt or an uncle or a coworker or whatever you may be because you were so great. He put you in that place so that he could work through you and in you. God doesn't tell us, he doesn't say, hey, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I think you've got enough strength. Now, the Great Commission is going to all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, behold, I am with you always. You understand that promise is for us. That if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've laid your life down at the feet of Jesus, that he is always with you. See, God is strong. You're not. God is strong. I'm not. But God delights. He's promised to be with us and to use us in the same way that he was with Mary. In the same way that he chose to use Mary. Now, when we understand who God is, our our hearts, they're ignited with unexplainable joy. We, We know that God is holy and that he is strong. And then the last truth that we see about God in this passage is that God is faithful. He's always faithful to his promises. He never forgets. He never changes. He never fails. He's always exactly who he promises to be. He always does exactly what he has promised to do. And when we understand God's faithfulness, then we find joy. Look at verse 54. Mary sings, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary shows us how God has been faithful. He's remembered his mercy. He has helped his servant Israel. See, Mary knows that in the coming of Jesus, God has been faithful to the promise that he made to send a Savior. Verse 55, Mary shows us that this promise, it really gets to the heart of what the Old Testament is all about. The Old Testament is all about God working and promising to bring that Redeemer, to bring that Savior. Every book of the Old Testament, every story in the Old Testament is about that. It's about that God is working. He's promising to bring a redeemer. And every verse, every chapter, every book, every story in the New Testament is about the fact that God has brought that redeemer. That redeemer is Jesus Christ and that changes everything. So that's what the Old Testament is all about. That's why Mary says that as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now that phrase, his offspring forever, this is covenantal language. So in God's Old Testament covenants, we read over and over God's promise to Israel's offspring, to David's offspring, to Abraham's offspring. And in the coming of Jesus, he has kept his promise. What Mary is saying is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The reason that the Old Testament exists is to point us to Jesus. 
We can't read the Old Testament apart from Jesus and really understand it. When we read the Old Testament without Jesus, we're reading it in 2D. But when we read it through the lens of Jesus, then we see color, then we see the shapes, it starts to leap off the page, and we start seeing Jesus, not where we have to put him, but where he already is. See, this is one reason why Christmas is such good news for us. It's a reminder that God never forgets his promises. He never fails to be faithful. See, God can only ever be faithful because that is who he is. God is faithful. All right, we say God is love, and that's true, right? As in the Bible, God is love. But God is also faithful. He, he remembers his promises. He keeps his covenants. We can trust him. I spent some time this week reading about trust. It's interesting, all of these different articles that are out there about trust. So there are some articles that they get into the science of what makes someone trustworthy. And then I read an article that gave you 15 ways to test the trustworthiness of other people. Some of y'all failed. I'm <laughs> be honest, some of you failed. I'm just playing. I didn't, I didn't really do the test. <laughs> One of the things I learned is that we're not very trusting people. We don't easily trust people, whether it be strangers or coworkers or family members. And if we're honest, some of us don't trust people because we have a reason to. Right? We have a reason to be hesitant in trusting others. Maybe you've been hurt by someone. Maybe there's a relationship that, that you were hurt in. Or maybe the other side of it that we don't talk about a lot is, is maybe you were the one who did the hurting. See, sometimes life makes you leery of trusting others and, and maybe this leeriness has crept into the way that you view God. Maybe you've been hurt by a church. Maybe you've been hurt by other Christians, and because of that, you're hesitant to really believe that God is faithful, to really believe that you can trust God. But what we see, not only in this passage, but over and over and over again, is that God is trustworthy. He's faithful. In fact, what we see over and over and over again is God being faithful to people who are unfaithful. That's the story of the Old Testament, right? The story of the Old Testament is Israel being unfaithful, God being faithful, calling them back. They repent, God forgives. And then what does Israel do? They're unfaithful again. And the cycle goes on and on and on and on. And here's the bad news for us. You and I are no different than Israel. In our relationship with God, we're the unfaithful ones. You and I, and I can say like Paul in this, like I'm the chief of, I'm the one who does this the most. That God is faithful to us. And maybe we're faithful to him for that season and then we start to, to kind of slide away and we start to be lulled by this thing or that thing. God is faithful to us and, and we celebrate his faithfulness, but then we, we see this over here or, or we see that over there and 
that calls our attention. And so we take our eyes off, off of the Lord and we start focusing on this thing or on that thing. But the good news is, is that God hasn't changed, that God is still faithful even when we are not. See, at the end of this song, Mary celebrates God's faithfulness in the midst of his people's unfaithfulness. See, in the coming of Jesus, God has been faithful to his people who have given him every reason to walk away. See, the bad news is, is that we're just like Israel. We're constantly walking away. The good news is, is that God never walks away. He's faithful. He's patient. He's loving. And this faithful, patient, loving God offers us a love and a relationship that we cannot find anywhere else. This faithful and loving and patient God offers us something that we cannot find at the feet of anyone else. He offers us a way to not only be fully known, but to also be fully loved. He offers us a way to be loved by one who even whenever we forsake him, he never forsakes us. And he never forsakes us because he forsook Jesus on the cross and Jesus died in our place. And so now we don't have to punish ourselves. God's not going to punish us. He's poured out his wrath on Jesus. And so when we walk away, we can always come back and find forgiveness and healing because of Jesus. See, that's the good news of Christmas. See, when we understand who God is, that ignites this unexplainable joy in us. God is holy. He's different from us. He's strong in a way that only he can be. He's faithful even when we are not. But see, too often our vision of who God is is far too small. We picture a God like us when that is not who our God is. Our God is not like us. Our God is different. He's holy, he's strong, he's faithful. And our God, who is not like us, has come to save us. In fact, that's the only way he can. God can save us, Jesus can save us because he's not like us. And so we've got to fight every day to remember that we serve a big God who isn't limited in any way like we are. Our God can do what we cannot do, and that is good news for us. So because he's holy, we can trust him in a way that we can trust no one else. Because he's strong, we can trust him to do what no one else can do. Because he's faithful, we can have confidence that he will do exactly what he promises. And so here's the question, do you know this God? Too often, the God that people reject is not this God. They reject a God that's a lesser God. When we say our God is great, we can mean it. Because he really is. And so really there's two questions for us. Is One, as believers, are we being reminded every day of who our God really is? Are we being reminded every day that he is holy and he is strong and he is faithful? And because he's faithful, we can always come to him. We can always lay our lives down at his feet. But the second question is this, is if you've never trusted Jesus, if You've never come to know this God. Well, why not? Why would you not want to know this God? See, because of Jesus, we can come to the Father without fear. Because of Jesus, we can come to the Father and not have to wonder, will he accept me? Will he love me? No, we can take it to the bank that he will because we can come to the Father knowing that we don't draw near for punishment. Jesus already took that. We draw near to the throne of grace. We lay our lives down at his feet, 
trusting and knowing that this God who is holy and who is strong and who is faithful, that he's ready to love us. He's ready to change us. He's ready to walk with us. And he invites us into an eternity of being known and loved by him. Now, how long is eternity? That is forever. The way that they say it in the Sandlot, forever, right? That is a long time. See, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. We're all going to spend eternity either with the Father or separated from the Father. To just put it in kind of the starkest terms, I know how, we will all spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And because of Christmas, because Jesus has come, He's lived that perfect life, He's died the death that we deserve, you and I no longer have to wonder well, am I going to make it to heaven? No, because of Jesus, he's secured that place for us. And so we can trust him. We can give our hearts and our lives to him knowing that he promises only good for us. And so if you've never trusted that Jesus, if you've never come to know that God, then we want you to do that today. Maybe you just need to be reminded of who God is. It, really, we all need to be reminded who God is every single day. Right? We all need that reminder. And so maybe you need to trust Jesus today. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you uh, about, yeah, hey, I need help with remembering who God is. Well, here's what we want you to do. At the end of this service, you can walk right out those doors. You don't have to wait till the end of the service. You can get up right now. You can walk right out those doors. You can take a right. Our next steps room is there. There's people in there ready and waiting, wanting to talk with you, wanting to pray with you. You can send a text to 407-338-4024. You can just say hello, put your name. And there's someone on the other end of that line to start that conversation with you. Here at Central, we believe everyone has a next step. So maybe your next step is just as we sing, praying, asking the Lord to help you remember who he is. We're going to sing a song called He Who Is Mighty. It's pulled right from this passage. We're going to proclaim that God is mighty. And so what I want to invite you, what I want to encourage you to do is just like Mary, don't just worship with your mouth and your mind. Worship with your heart. And that's going to look different for everyone. But think about, understand what we're singing and then celebrate the fact that He who is mighty has done great, great things. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word, and we're grateful that we can draw near to you. God, we're grateful that, that even though we're unfaithful, oftentimes that you are always faithful. We never have to wonder that you're always strong. You are always holy. And so, God, I pray that as we sing, that we would remember that. I pray that as we leave, that we would remember that when we really understand who you are, we can find that unexplainable joy, that peace that passes all understanding. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us to see you for who you are. We pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.